0: This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategy, and you may have guessed it, they're Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Friends and Benefits podcast with myself, Jade Burke, Deputy Editor of Reward Strategy. I'm pleased to share that our guest today is Syreta Brown. Group Chief People and Communications Officer at Virgin Money. And the Banking and Financial Services brand is part of Richard Branson's Virgin Empire and is recognised for its efforts to drive more equality with its Enhanced Employee Benefits Package, which we'll be coming on to very shortly. But I just want to say welcome, Sarita. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for the warm welcome. You're very welcome. i really, really thrilled to have you on board for this latest episode. But yeah, I wanted to kick off with asking you how you came to work in the people space.
1: Well, gosh, didn't plan to. <laughs> but uh, I basically I went to university, graduated and decided to apply for a graduate scheme and happened upon the BT graduate scheme that was quite well thought of at the time and probably still is. Looked through the brochure and, and looked at this thing called HR, which um, at that time wasn't probably, a, it was quite a forward thinking uh, label. I know personnel was probably more the terminology used. But what interested me at that point was less a kind of functional interest in HR, but more that I didn't think I was going to be in this world called business for very long. And uh, it felt uh, good to be able to what I thought play at the sidelines in this nice little people function that I thought would be interesting to to work in for a couple of years. In fact, when I joined BT, what I found was a very sophisticated and advanced philosophy around what HR was and actually was quite an integral part of business strategy in BT even back then which was the late 90s and there was lots of transformation work going on centred around people and I quickly realised that business was a little bit uh, less one-dimensional than I thought and it just grew to really um, have a passion for HR that that's never left me. So that's how I landed in it. It's a very unintended, um, and I, I guess my journey since then has been a very uh, unintended path as well. I've I've managed to develop and grow my career in HR and have never felt that I've been anything less than centre of a business strategy. So I've been very fortunate in that respect.
0: Yes, yeah, sounds fantastic. And it's interesting, isn't it, how you what you mentioned there in terms of how. Uh, I guess the wording has changed in regards to HR. Like you said, it was personnel before, so it's really come on. Like in terms of its progression, hasn't it? In terms of um, of
1: the uh, the sector, yeah, it has, and I think that's because um, it's always had to feel it's always feels the need uh, as a function and a capability and expertise in the business environment to validate its its raison d'être, its reason to be. And I've I've always challenged that. I think labels are irrelevant. I think in any any forward-thinking organisation, and I think the pandemic has shown and has illuminated the value of HR, actually. In any forward-thinking organisation, human resources is where it starts and where it kind of finishes and where it all happens in the middle. I mean, every every agenda goes back into that function for one reason or another. It is critical. It's a critical function and is a very valued business partner to, I think, CEOs and leadership teams that get the value of HR And I think in all the industries that we see being successful in the world today, some of the highest value earning organisations, people are very front and centre of those strategies. Yeah, of course. Absolutely.
0: And you've been at Virgin Money, I think, for over half a year now. Um, So I just wanted to ask you what drew you to this role and this industry in particular?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I've always been a bit of a Virgin brand fan. And whilst developing my career at BT, we we actually looked at the work that Richard Branson did because it was very much around people creating creating a commercial value to brands and people and seeing a very strong uh, alignment between what you did with your people and how that translated to your customers so uh, it was always a case study in an an, an, organi- uh, an organization and a philosophy and a movement I would say that I've I've monitored all throughout my career so I've always Been interested in the Virgin brand. The banking experience, again, uh, uh, probably a theme your uh, listeners are going (laughs) to pick up on. But moving into banking was quite an unintended path as well. Uh, That opportunity found me um, when I moved to City, And so uh, HR and financial services, again, is a really interesting agenda that I hadn't realized was going to be as interesting as it was. And so when um, the Virgin Money opportunity came up, it felt like the collision of two worlds that you wouldn't typically have expected. You know, the Virgin brand and banking, relatively new phenomena. It is, it is a um, its roots are in the group of Clydesdale, Northern Rock, Virgin Money, and Yorkshire Bank, and it's actually a very uh, rich cultural heritage of different organisations now all under the Virgin Money group. And when um, I was approached around role, it it felt like the perfect mix for my capability and experiences and my interest and my passion, which is very much around connecting people to commercial and customer outcomes.
0: Fantastic. It sounds like it was the perfect role for you to take.
1: (laughs) Yes, it was.
0: Brilliant. And um, what does the role like, really entail at the moment? You know, what, what are you getting up to day to day? I guess it's different for you every day, but um, in particular, the you know, like the um, the specifics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have a very interesting uh, composition of role. So I'm the I'm an, on the executive committee. Uh, so uh, sit on that leadership team for Virgin Money. Uh, reports to the CEO. So it's a UK Tier One bank, which has a lot of added dimensions to it from a regulatory perspective. It's in the top six banks of the UK, but not quite at the scale of the top kind of five banks of the UK. But still under the same uh, requirements and, and and processes and and uh, compliance procedures. So it's quite a significant role in that respect. I also have communications um, as well as the uh, HR agenda under my remit. So I am responsible for all the corporate affairs and communications activities across the enterprise. So. That's really interesting to see the synergies between HR and communications, which, again, I grew up with that in BT and saw the value of that and and seeing the value of that now in this role in Virgin Money. And I would say the day to day is pretty much anchored around our overarching strategy of uh, our ambition to be the UK's leading digital bank. And that's a big statement um, because banking, I think you, uh, your listeners will know, has, has evolved tremendously, not just because of the pandemic, but just, I think before that, to uh, having a different relationship with customers around how they manage their money, uh, especially using digital platforms and having digital experiences. And so we've been doing a lot of work in in uh, HR and communications to understand how do we create the right capability in the organisation and and skills in order to be able to deliver against that agenda. Um, It's incredibly technology-driven, huge requirement now for skills and experiences across a traverse of industries, not just banking and financial services. So that's where the roles in in HR are becoming very interesting because we're having to think a little bit less one-dimensionally about financial services and thinking more about what is it we're trying to do and be driven by the why um, and the what and understand therefore then how are we going to source skills, attract people, retain people and develop and motivate them. So a lot of work in the digital space, a lot of work on how we can be more speedy to market in and in, in, in manage risk in our organisation. We still have to run a bank and um, still have to fulfil our obligations. So how do we ensure we keep that skill set strong and developed? And then um, I guess the other aspect is, Uh, which is is increasing in many organisations and companies I know is the whole ESG agenda. So how is the work we're doing integrated into that philosophy of how we present to the external environment and commit to those areas around, you know, creating better uh, managing climate risk, creating um, a much more connected agenda with, you know, social issues and and how do we support our economies locally as well as nationally. So there's a whole agenda there that we support in HR directly and indirectly with our business partners.
0: Yeah. Sounds like there's plenty going on then. And it's really interesting that you touched on the ESG element there as well. Because like you said, it's something that businesses are really tapping into now. Absolutely. And
1: and you know, it's becoming much more systematically ingrained in the not just as a, a kind of good thing to do, but actually as a measurable thing. So shareholders are requiring it now. There's a lot of focus on this in in how is it turning up in the way an organization is um, managed, is scorecards measured, how it can also uh, link to the results and drive higher performance. So drive higher performance, but also be very mindful of how you are doing that. So it's a very, it's got strong ethical roots, but I also think it's just becoming good business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. couldn't agree more, definitely. And um, I know you've mentioned that you've worked in in banking for quite some time, and then obviously you've got telecoms as well. But I just wondered how each of those industries differ in terms of the people function. I mean, are they all very similar, or is there quite stark differences in terms of how you manage people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am, uh, I'm definitely of the school of thought in this space when people talk about HR roles, when they say, oh, you know, a person's not really had banking experience, or they've not really done comms, they've not done, done retail, it's a complete farce um, and a myth. People are people. And the, the most adept and talented HR professional can, can cross any industry. Because actually, at its core, and I'm going to be deliberately simplistic, because I do believe this is, is, this is true, at its core, the things that you need to understand about managing people in an organisation are fundamentally the same. People want to be attracted. They want to be retained. They want to be motivated. They want to be incentivized, they want to be rewarded. The only thing that, that's required, I think, is in terms of difference is understanding the context and the environment in which that strategy needs to be applied to or thought about in. But for the most capable uh, HR professionals, you can learn that. I mean, it's not going to take um, a lifetime. Uh, you can learn about industries and context. And actually learning agility is very important for HR, because if we don't keep ourselves uh, continually developed, then we can't be ahead of the needs of our business. So I'm a big fan of cross industry expertise, and I have uh, I was one of the motivators of me leaving uh, BT and going to join City was that that difference. It was like, mm, okay, so I've done really really well in comms, but how would I work in financial services? You know, that was a challenge for me. That was a stretch, and. I learned new muscles and new ways of thinking. And I think if you're going to be a good HR leader or professional, you need to be very adept at being versatile because people are not the same everywhere you go. And so you should challenge yourself in that respect.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess that taps into like at the moment, the um like the war for, war for talent, because employers are like fighting to find the talent that they need sort of thing. So why would you not have someone that hasn't, like you, like you said, worked in a different industry that applies to their company, for example?
1: absolutely and you know there's lots of lots of rhetoric and in and good intent i think and programmatic work around diversity and inclusion but the core of diversity and inclusion is difference you know and accommodating and understanding that difference and attracting that difference and you you get it's not just at the level of you know how we perceive that in a traditional sense often you find diversity and inclusion by going into different places <laughs> yes. so if you continually keep your sourcing channels into the vertical that you're in you're probably going to get the same of everything you've always had and also when you get different um, perspectives skills and experience you will find natural diversity and I've seen it proven in the work we've uh, done at City, where I led a lot of work around this space in the talent acquisition area it, it, it was I actually got led not by the characteristic the protected characteristic but actually just by thinking differently about where to go for talent and then just by default finding diverse talent in terms of protected characteristics so i think we just have to flip that whole inclusion agenda on its head a little bit and just do the right thing which is keep yourself open to very different profiles of, of people yeah of course
0: and um i'd ask uh, your thoughts on i think it was last year that virgin money announced that from day one of employment Employees will have access to equal family leave and thirty days holiday. So, why was this introduced in particular? What what made you, I guess, launch this initiative?
1: You know, kind of similar to what I've been saying. I think this this approach was really preempting what a lot of people are already are now starting to realise, which is that talent votes with its feet. You know, and you have to read the signals in your environment to understand what's the next need in the, the the talent and people space you know what are the things that we're going to have to think about in order to remain relevant and attractive to people whether it's in our organization already or externally and people's lives have changed irrevocably uh not just because of the pandemic they were changing and evolving before that you know parent the the role of parenting was becoming much more uh, liberally applied you know parenting isn't just your traditional stereotype of a woman having a child. Parenting is now becoming a much more broader proposition and there are very uh, non-traditional ways of parenting um, and caring for people, not just children but elderly parents and people are demanding now, they are voting with their feet, they're they're selecting employers based on how can I continue to work, continue to be effective and high-performing and accommodate the needs of my life. And I think the, the thing we we looked at in Virgin Money, we surveyed people externally and internally, was that people wanted to be in the driving seat of that process. They wanted to determine how best they could work and how to uh, create alignment with those personal and professional worlds in their lives. So the policies that we've designed have been designed organically from um an outside in perspective rather than an inside out, which is what a lot of organisations do. they think about what is, what can we do and what do we need? And actually Virgin money, we we put that in its head and said, No, actually, what do people want? <laughs> because by by evolving our philosophy as far as we could to cater for a kind of consistent theme of what people would want, we would remain attractive to the very best talent out there. And the philosophy around this stuff is that it's democratising the ability for people to continue to work. Because oftentimes, you know, we create social and economic exclusion by the fact that people can't continue to grow their careers because they've got family responsibilities or they may have been the breadwinner and now no longer can be the breadwinner. And, and we wanted to also create a much more democratised working philosophy um, that was open to anybody from what how, however you may describe yourself. Uh, and as we know, people are choosing to identify and describe themselves in different ways and some of the terminologies and labels and policies uh, create exclusion by default so all of these things contributed to the 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 approach that we we've labeled a life more virgin which is more than a program and initiative it is our approach to what working at virgin money means and how it can also impact customers as well because of the engagement we hope it will foster with our people yeah, of
0: course. And what's the reaction been like from employees and then new starters as well to the business?
1: Yeah, really positive. In fact, we just had a um a board jam. We 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 get a, a few of our non-executive directors on technology um interacting with our colleagues across the organization on a regular basis, just a, a you know, open QA. And and the one that we just had was around um people new hires, people who had just recently joined in the last, say, six months or so. And that board jam was really, I think, a good validator of what, what we were doing. And a lot of people were uh, had said they joined primarily because what, what initially attracted them was the, a life more verging approach and the benefits that we were offering. They were very intrigued, very interested. So there was definitely strong engagement. And also, as they joined, um, They've, they also validated having the experience live up in practice, that people were actually looking to try and make these things come alive in practice. That was a really good indicator. We've also have been, uh, we're now just finishing our second Pulse survey, but our annual engagement survey was in September, but we had a Pulse survey in January uh, uh just kind of sampling sentiment in the organization and and we have seen an upward trajectory in in all indicators especially in, in recognition and reward people feeling much more positive uh, much more positive about being part of virgin money and our next pulse survey which is just about to close is also indicating a, a, a continuation of that engagement so um it's been received well i would say the challenges nothing's perfect the challenge is when you do something as bold and as um, leading edge as this is that you have to help people understand how to land it because we you know many parts of our organization given the heritage and journey of um, how virgin money has come about have very traditional ways of working so uh, this empowerment theme that which is very much a core part of a life more virgin which says you know here's the parameters here are the kind of guardrails, but actually what you do inside that is down to you to determine with your team, your peers. You know, we 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 give you the kind of rules of the road, but you have autonomy in how you may want to apply that. So, you know, your hours, your working hours, you could you could easily work a four-day working week here at Virgin Money, um, subject to operational requirements, subject to your team, what we call team rhythms, and working with your people leader it's for you to kind of determine. And that's been that's been challenging for some people because giving empowerment to people sometimes is very welcome. And sometimes people really value the prescription and the direction. So we've had to do some work in just upskilling people, leaders. We've invested a lot in development. So it, it, you need to, when you do these agendas properly, properly, in order to make sure it's not just a gimmick, it's important to look at it holistically. Like what is the total requirement for making this work so there's a kind of upfront investment around uh, leadership development you know bite sized learning so we're using technology in our learning and development portfolio we're using apps so people have real time engagement with their peers on learning we create forums for discussion like the board jam at every level it's it's very like democratized so our ceo our leadership team do all colleagues Um, engagement sessions where we encourage people to speak up and share their experiences and and the last thing I would say is that we we also say this is a learning process so where we get feedback where we may need to tweak things and iterate things that's okay too. Brilliant and I know you mentioned engagement
0: surveys and pulse surveys there so I just wanted to ask whether in terms of that sort of data, that people data analytics, is that helping you to, to monitor this regularly? Is that something that you're you're
1: considering to do quite often throughout like the, the year? Yeah, we do it on a course. So we have an annual engagement survey and we do a quarterly pulse. And absolutely, this is definitely one of the mechanisms by which we will measure the impact, not just of a life more virgin. There are obviously other things we, we, we will monitor during that process but yeah very much a core part of assessing how is a life more virgin not just how is it being received but how is it actually being adopted and practiced that's the really important point here Uh, it's all great having a good you know program of work and policy but it's not being applied in practice it can have a counter effect on your engagement so these are this very useful and we're also we'll look at all the traditional things like attraction Um, We look at um, our candidate pipelining, how's that been since the Life More Virgin? And we've seen applications, we've absolutely seen uh, an increase in applications. We've seen an increase in diversity of those applications. So there are um, kind of a suite of metrics that we are monitoring to ensure that we're on the right track and um, assess where we may need to do things a little bit differently or evolve. Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. So before we find out how the business is building inclusion into the heart of everything it does, we're just going to take a very quick ad break. Hi there, it's Kitty Wood here reporting for award Strategy. I want to let you know that the Payroll and Reward Conference held in partnership with the Payroll Centre is coming around quickly, taking place on the 8th and 9th of June at the Chelsea Harbour Hotel. On the day, topics that will be discussed include international payroll, the gamification of rewards, how to manage a global workforce and whether women are being left behind on financial rewards. Some fantastic speakers will also be appearing across the two days from brands such as Stella McCartney. Find the full agenda online. We hope to see you there, but for now, let's get back to listening to Friends and Benefits. And we're back after that quick break. So I know I mentioned we're going to discuss inclusion. But before we get into that, Sarita, I just want to speak about your role quickly, because I know we've, we've discussed that, obviously, it comprises communications. But how does that really cross over into people in HR? You know, How, how do they align? Um, I think it's, um,
1: it, it's, it's pretty simple if you have a very integrated people strategy into your business strategy, because you know, communications and, and corporate affairs are about how you engage with the people that your business either has to manage, deliver a service to, engage with in terms of stakeholders like regulatory bodies, government bodies, you know. So actually, comms is all about people uh, in, in its essence, but more about how do those, how does the the business interact with those target groups? And in and how do we create a fluency of Virgin Money purpose and our strategic and business um, ambitions and, and objectives? And how does that translate every layer of the organisation in the interactions we need to have, be it with shareholders as part of our annual results, be it with colleagues in terms of internal um, culture work and engagement work, Um, and keeping um, them abreast of what's happening in that macro framework, as well as customers. You know, how do we communicate with customers when there are needs, when there are good things to communicate? And obviously, in the world of social media, it it is very people-centered. It is a people-centered environment. So there is huge crossover. And working in an integrated fashion means you see less the difference and more the alignment. So I, 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 I mean, whilst well, we've distinguished it, obviously the very, two very dis- discreet functions that I oversee, uh, the work is very um, overlapping. And I think you get a much more fluent communication of your business when you create alignment in these spaces, because you see the value very quickly, rather than there being a gap. So a piece of work is done in one part of the business and there's a big gap and then all oh, the comms team pick it up. We we don't have that challenge here because we're kind of working in a very agile way. So it really creates a much much more agile kind of organisation. I think having these two work quite closely together.
0: Absolutely. And I guess on that note, do you think that this is something we'll see crop up more in terms of that job title, in terms of a HR and communications role?
1: Yeah. I mean, my my goal is that you 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 see much more HR and something of everything. So because HR isn't well well, in my in my perspective and i'll I'll happily be challenged it's not a one-dimensional function it is a chameleon function we operate in every single part of the business we have to and so having hr and you know customer experience together well why not you know um I, i i think or having hr leaders move into business roles and having business leaders move into hr roles at this at this level, at the level I'm at, I think is a definite possibility and should be more recurring and 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 will create a much better uh, leadership capability by having that. Of course, at certain levels in these functions, you need the technical expertise. But when you're a leader, the idea of leading is that you can lead everyone, not just one thing. so yeah, I, I think there are many functions, operation functions, functions that have to oversee you know, controls, I think, very similar to HR, I, I, I would and hopefully see a world in the future where we get much more crossover. And certainly, in my experience working in the American um, environment, and in city, uh, you see a lot more organisations melding these roles and, and creating more creative uh, people leader roles that have more than just HR in them. Absolutely. I love
0: that, that, um, what you just said, that the chameleon function, I think that sums it up so well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and finance is similar, by the way. I think finance, I was talking to our CFO the other day, he and I were talking about, you know, we're probably the two functions. The control functions have this very, I think, unfair image, you know, risk, finance, HR, compliance, legal, all of these functions, but they just work in this silo. But actually, they are the part of the business that has to work across the business. They don't get a choice to just be in one area. If you have a very forward-thinking Uh, organization those functions traverse every part of the business they need to know every part of the business i grew up bt was very early leader in this space but i grew up having to know my business not just hr because how am i going to apply really effective people practices so good hr functions know every part of the business and i don't see a reason why you can't cross fertilize that skill of course that makes total sense
0: definitely and just keeping on the on the job title side, something we've noticed is a bit of an emergence of titles that read inclusion and diversity rather than diversity and inclusion in that order. So I just wondered, with that in mind, what do you think should come first? You know, should it be diversity and inclusion, or should it be inclusion and diversity, or you know, do they just need to go hand in hand?
1: Uh, I, I would rather the outcome. I'd rather everyone focus on the outcomes. So uh, less the inputs is my my immediate answer. I think there's far too much nasal gazing on inputs in this agenda, far too much focus on what we can do to create an outcome rather than creating the outcome. And the world I live in would just have inclusion because by default, it should work for everybody, not just a few or the many. And I think that's where we're at at the moment with this labelling nomenclature issue that you've highlighted is that people are like, oh, what comes first? I think in the world we're in, in at the moment, it's a diversity-led agenda because it it's not a level playing field. That's the bottom line, and it doesn't matter what one people want to say about oh, but you you know you're proactively focusing on this and not targeting that. The bottom line is if you're happy with the inequality that exists in an organisation, then yeah, you're going to say that. If you are okay to tolerate the status quo, because the status quo is not equal, it is not inclusive, and it only affects a disproportionate level at number of people. In a certain protected characteristics and features. So you have to address that. You have to create a level playing field. And then only when you've addressed that can you start being inclusive. Okay. And, and that's inclusive, but inclusive is the goal, you know. And the, r- the real nirvana is that it's just a core part of everybody's job and that there isn't this need for a separate area, that you are just doing the right thing and creating access and equality of opportunity to anybody. And you get the best people for the job. That's what I try and do. And by default, I get diverse outcomes as a result of that because I'm not biased or blinkered by any preconceived notion of what that might look like. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. So um, for me, it's probably a diversity and inclusion agenda until we get that level playing field. And then hopefully we can move to inclusion and then hopefully we can get rid of everything.
0: (laughs) That's the aim, isn't it? Yeah. For sure, and Virgin Money just does state online that inclusion is at the heart of what we do. That's the uh, the statement I read on the uh, website. So I just wanted to ask how you're really championing this at the business.
1: Yeah, we well, we're working really hard on this because we we're probably in the same boat like everybody else. We 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 have a lot of things to do in this space, and I think we can we can definitely put our uh, our stake in the ground, and say that we set that tone at the very top of our house. You know, we have a diverse board, we have a diverse executive committee, you know, and the CEO uh, has worked really hard with the board to to drive and th- the right behaviour in this space and set the tone for the organisation. We still have work to do in in different levels of the organisation, in different areas. Um a life more virgin is one of our uh, big levers to helping that because. We're trying to remove all the the kind of discrete barriers. I call them discrete because they're not very noticeable. But if you have hiring in certain locations and very very focused, you may not be getting diversity as a result of that. So our agnostic hiring process around location, we're a locationless organisation when it comes to the UK at this stage. And so you start being able to open up your ability to attract people from different parts of the UK with potentially more diverse profiles being an output of that. So I would say from an engineering perspective, we are designing the right architecture to remove all the reasons why we cannot have inclusion at the heart of what we do. The next stage of the work is to do that in practice, um, which is always the hard bit, it's the sticky part of the agenda, isn't it? It's the adoption, it's the it's actually getting the results. And I'm very results oriented uh, individual always have been. So I'm less worried about the mechanisms to get in there and more worried about are we getting there? So I think that's the next stage. I think we've done as much as we can around giving tools and levers and frameworks to our organisation so that they can create an inclusive environment. The next work piece of work, which is the harder muscle to exercise is, okay, now we have to make it an inclusive organisation. And we are going to be monitoring that. And we've actually stated um, diversity targets in our annual report and accounts. So we're very transparent about that.
0: Brilliant, and you mentioned there in terms of boards and, and making that inclusion and diversity visible there. So, I just want to get your thoughts on the, the leadership within Virgin uh, Money. Do you think it's important to lead by example when it comes to things such as that, and then also well-being and mental health, for example?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm really proud, and I'm not being corny. I, I, I guess it's one of the, the, the things I saw as a potential coming into this role, and I'm really glad that it's living up to that. I'm seeing a real authentically led attempt to set the tone for the organization. We have a CEO who's as passionate about a life more virgin than any HR practitioner uh, I've <laughs> witnessed. Um, he completely role models it. He posts on social media his flexibility, um, how where he's working, his ability to incorporate that into his, his, his has a pet, uh, a dog. And it's very much about setting the tone to say, it because you know, organisations sometimes need permission from their their leadership, and so we have a very, we've got a good CEO. Our board, you know, we have board meetings that can be attended in person. That can we have technology? We use technology very democratically across Virgin Money. So board meetings have people virtually attending. So we are ensuring that the philosophy we're allowing our people to take advantage of is absolutely taken advantage of by our most senior leaders, so that they almost set that kind of, they show by example, what is possible, and and give a kind of unspoken permission to the rest of the organisation, which is needed in in corporate environments. It's it's just a natural, I think, human behaviour. Now, it gets tricky when you you get into the real detail of stuff. So uh, one of the things we we do a wellbeing days. We've offered five additional wellbeing days in addition to everything else that we offer around leave. And you know, it's making sure people use the wellbeing days. And again, we've had colleagues from all over the organisation posting on LinkedIn about their experience of being able to use a being day. And these things have a, vir- a viral eff- effect. You know, people now take that on and think, oh, okay, well that's a nice thing to do. And making sure people use it for the right thing. So you no, know, you shouldn't really use it to compensate for something you can use annually for it's about well-being it's about switching off it's about maybe not even being with your family (laughs) maybe just being with yourself so we are allowing people to organically share their own experiences in order to give people their own permission peer-to-peer about what they do with these mechanisms and not and not creating I think an, an artificial uh, benefit, which sometimes can be the case with when organisations don't do this stuff properly. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's it sets that tone, doesn't it? And
0: and and that other people will follow suit, which is fantastic to see and hear. So, finally, I just want to wrap up by asking you what you'd be doing if you weren't in the people profession.
1: I have a big passion for reading and writing, and um, in fact, I do lots of writing. um So, I would be a writer. I would call myself a writer now, but that would be the thing I would do full time. <laughs> Definitely. It's quite a nice therapeutic way, isn't it? And
0: to, to yes. spend your evenings, for example. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's about all we've got time for, Cyrita so I just want to say thank you so much again for joining me on this latest episode. It's been been a real pleasure to have you on on this uh, episode today.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Dave. No problem at all. So I just to remind everyone we'll be back with another Friends in Benefits very soon. In the meantime, you can listen to some of the past episodes featuring brands such as Royal Opera House, Betty's and Taylor's and Oaxaca Online. But thank you all for listening once again.